All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm here as always with Brian, Tommy, and Caleb. And we've been talking a lot lately um, in the episodes about development and you know going into new areas of life. And tonight, before we started recording, we were talking about this idea of how do we turn what we need to do into what we want to do. And Caleb got us onto a very deep deep, spiritually deep, emotionally deep level with this, um, with some personal experience of how he and his friends tackle this in their day to day. So I'm just going to let you let us into that, Caleb. Yeah, my friends and I have this inside joke, kind of basically, like whenever with work or anything like that, or like, you know, something around the house, whenever there's a big project we need to do, we always make it our priority to not do that and do something else. So like whenever there's like, like a video project or something, we're supposed to be sitting down working on that. We're like, Oh, my car needs to be washed. I'm going to go wash my car right now. And then we get back and we're about to sit down and we're like, my room's kind of dirty. I can't work on this without cleaning my room. And it keeps on building up, building up until like it's a week later. And we've done all these awesome things besides the thing we actually need to do. And then we're in trouble. So it's kind of like our joke of like, okay, I'm going to find a big project that I need to do. That way I can get all these little things that I need to do done because I'll just go do those instead. And it's kind of like this endless funny cycle that we don't stop doing whatever we don't need to do. even, And we just like justify it in our mind of doing all these little things. It's funny, Caleb, you, you're talking about that. I have a similar thing. You, I mean, anyone could probably ask my friends or maybe some of my family members have kind of, realize this but when I was in school especially like if I had a big project or something I would just like shut down and then I'd like go rearrange my room like I would literally like move like the position of my bed I'd move where my bookshelf is I'd get it all reorganized and I'd be like oh feels good okay now I can do something else (laughs) and it was like this pointless task that it never needed to get done but when like face was something I needed to do I was just like oh I have to do this and it was really interesting. I don't know. It was just funny. Same thing with you. It's funny how those priorities can just shift. You know, you just, re- you realize how critical it is to wash your car in that moment. So what is that? What is it? Why do we do that? Because I mean, I get, I mean, on the surface, I, I mean, I get, yeah, I get on the surface where, but here's a, a project you could do. So we'll, we'll work. So it, it goes to show we're not being lazy, but we're not a, attacking the one big thing that we're supposed to go do. Like, and, you know, we, we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts of how to set little habits that we start developing our will, but this kind of hits a little different thing. There's like things that kind of, you know, you could go do, but it kind of just like grinds you to a halt. Is it because it's too big of a project? Is it because um, it doesn't really have your interest? Is it because um, what goes through your head that you would rather do all this other work to justify not doing the other thing like what 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 is the process there i've talked about this with my friends because we joke about it so much like we're like uh this week i have to do this well yeah i'll see you at the car wash like we both have the same project we both show up but um when talking with my friends i think we've kind of come to the conclusion like there's a it's kind of different for all of us in some ways like I think for me, like it can tend to be like, it's a project I don't really want to do. So I'll justify not doing it 
by doing other little things that I want to do that are still quote unquote good things to do and that I can like justify doing them because oh it was cleaning my room my room needed to be cleaned anyways and I'll feel happier by doing that and it'll take me less time and then like you know for I think from some of my other friends it's like oh I'll like if I do this I'll be happier at having this done than I will this huge project because well that project's going to take me three days to do and I won't feel like accomplished in the first two days so I think it's kind of like a want to do and kind of the gratification of doing things like a mix and justifying not doing something because we're doing something that's good enough to not be prioritizing what we should be in that specific example do you think it's we don't like let's say it's going to take you three days to do this project and you're i like that you're finding justification so you're still doing a noble thing which is why you're being delayed if you're just to not do it that's lazy but you're 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 finding these noble ideas to get done do you think we don't know how to chunk it down into smaller bite-sized pieces is there is there a planning thought process that's part of it or do you think it's the gratification of or the no gratification for a couple of days of just hard work and the effort that's going to go into it what what is that or have we just not created a fortitude that can handle longer longer processes without gratification i think it's a mix but i think the biggest thing would definitely be the um like such a big project putting it into smaller tasks because when you start something like that it almost seems unattainable like this i mean i think that goes for anything like in a year you want to have something accomplished or something done with your life like it seems i think sometimes there's a lack of like you have the vision for it but there's such a like lack the vision is so big that all the little steps to get there seem like too many or like are just overshadowed by the big end goal. So I think sometimes it's definitely for me anyways, like uh, that's just not going to be able to happen because it's such a big project. I like, I can't do it. Like it comes down to like the not thinking about all the little tasks or all the little steps I can take it's like there's too much of like what's the end goal and the jump from where I am now to the end goal is too big instead of seeing like the the stairs I have to walk up if that makes sense Tommy when you're doing your work there's everything's a bigger project and you had mentioned before how you took your you know with your job one of the things that really helped was um, being in college, not so much what you were learning, but the the idea that you had to learn how to chunk out your day with, you did this assignment, which built into this assignment, which built into this test, which built into the final exam. You saw the pro, you actually, the process helped you was the learning tool that's helped you in sales. Not even what you were learning, but that process stepping forward. Do you think that we, what is a way that we could get over that that we can learn to see bigger things that we have to do. So let's first just take something that's a big project that we avoid doing. So let's don't take something that's we that is fearful or we're afraid of. Let's just take a big project and we'll we'll deal with those other factors 
in a moment, but just big project. You love your job. You love doing this kind of stuff, but it's just one of those projects. There's like, ugh, not the favorite aspect of your job, but it's big. What could we start doing or what could you start daily habits on that can help build that fortitude that when those things come, you respond differently versus washing your car. And that just is a normal part of your day. Not just when you don't want to be doing this other thing. It's funny when we're talking about this, because I realize how much I chunk stuff out, but then in like really creative stuff, I sometimes, and it, and it feels almost like a big creative task. I feel like I have to get the ball rolling in something else. And so like, for the example I use, I like would rearrange my room and it almost feels like I took something big and made it small and accomplished it really quick. And it almost got my creative juices flowing of like, how do I, how do I go forward with my next thing? My next task. I would see this the most with like papers. Like if I really procrastinated a paper, like I would almost need to like rearrange my room or rearrange something just so I could get in the mode of like, going and writing and accomplishing putting something out there and with my job now i i recently had to put together a presentation um for uh for an engineering group where we would share our uh, technology with them here i am a 22 year old six months into my job having to create a presentation that would be interesting to 20, 30 plus engineers. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Like, what do you do? And for me, that process was just put something down. Just start and put something down and it's going to suck and that's okay. But you also need to give yourself enough time to do this. I started like, three or four weeks before and before that it was all it was talking and game planning of what what our plan and strategy was going to lead to this thing even though we hadn't we hadn't planned the trip we haven't even booked the meeting but we started planning months in advance and then to actually get the details out it took me multiple weeks and multiple multiple iterations and so i don't know if that exactly answers your question but like chunking down a big project is really just about getting started and then knowing where you want to finish. All right. You threw something out about creativity because I'm wondering if for Jason and Caleb, you're more of a creative type. That's like, if you said, Hey, you got to go paint the house and it's going to take you three days. I, I'll get in and start working. Like I want to get the thing done. So I'll figure out, let's get this going. Boom, boom, boom. So some projects that are big, I'll actually eagerly get going because I know how much I can get done. And it almost becomes a challenge to me. If I can get this section done in this day, then I can cut off this time on this. And it becomes way different. I used to, even when I had a window cleaning company, I'd do these big houses and it's like, okay, I got to beat the sun coming around so it doesn't overheat the windows on this part of the day. And so I had all these, to me, that was a fun challenge. If I have to sit down and write a story, I will stare at a piece of paper for hours, even if the story is in my head, 
and I will not put anything down on the paper or I'll overwrite those first couple sentences. And so the creative side is where I get the biggest stop. And I have to do all these other things. And when I'm doing those other things, all these ideas will pop. And so I try it as quickly as I can to get out and start working on it again. Then I forget what those creative ideas were. And then I have to kind of start over again. And I feel like justified in those things that I can, I'm, I'm being creative, like going for a walk. I, I overwalk when I have to do a big creative project. I think I walk, <laughs> okay, I got to think this, but I do, I have to see it. If I can see it in my head, I, I can, I can go through it. If I can't see it, I'll just piddle around with it and it, it won't get done. And I, it's a, I don't know if there is a way to get over it. So I'm, I'm learning to try to put different methodical systems that work with my brain, but I don't know if that's, here, here's where I'm thinking. God is a creator and we're born in his image. We're actually designed to create with what he's given us. I'm wondering if the fall of our nature, there is a redemption of that, that we, we're fearful to step out into that mode. Is it something that makes us feel vulnerable because it really exposes what we really are when we're creative? When you create something, it really says what you are versus you can just be known as a hard worker, but I don't really know what you are until you create something. When you create something, it gives a splash work of how you think, how you look at things, how you go about things. And that gets to be judged. You can judge whether you like my painting style or not, because I can fix that to match whatever you need. But when I have to create something, I don't know if you're going to like it. And there's a lot of effort that goes in to know if that other person, anybody else is going to appreciate what you just did. And I think for me, that is my biggest holdup with creative stuff. It's like, it's so valuable on the inside of me. I really don't want it wrecked by someone not appreciating what I'm seeing. So I'd just rather not tell you about it. Which we'll get into that aspect of things later, but that creative side, why, why do you think our creative side, and maybe that's just me with a little bit more of a logical mind, which loves creative stuff, but Caleb and Jason, I shouldn't say me with a logical mind, you guys are all logical. I mean, you guys tend to have more of a creative bent with how you see things. Is it the same for you or do you have a different aspect? One of the things that I've noticed in me is because the creativity side of us is so much closer to the emotional side, which is such, uh, or I would say less stable than the logical side. So what I mean by that is there've been times from my history where I have, you know, one night I'll come up with a song and I'll record part of it. And then the next morning I hate it. The night before I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever written. And it's, and it, you know, it moves me. And the next day, I hate it. Like, this is garbage. How could I even like this? And then I've had this happen before where all a friend of mine will hear it later on. And they're like, this is amazing. This is awesome. And then, and then the, the weird thing is I'm like, well, which part of me do I believe the part that was really excited when I wrote it and recorded it and thought it was great. Or the morning after me, when I was like, this is stupid, you should probably burn this and never let anyone see it because it's embarrassing. And the reality of something like that is it's kind of subjective, but I think that's what sometimes holds me up is knowing 
that, okay, I might not like this later on. I might like not like how this turns out. So it's a lot easier to put off finalizing something like that because I'm not even sure myself if I'm going to love it when all is said and done. So then it's easy to get distracted by, I should probably wash my car. I should rearrange my room. My desk is kind of cluttered. I should clean that up because it is kind of a, you know, potentially painful thing. If you finish something, you put it out there, maybe it's rejected. And maybe at that point, if it's rejected by other people and they don't appreciate it the way you do, then you're like, man, I knew it. I knew this sucked. I knew I shouldn't have put it out there. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially, well, even with what you were saying, Brian, I feel the same thing with like the whole creative aspect being super vulnerable. And I think um, because I've had to like, since it's my job to create stuff essentially and do something creative and put it out there and I have deadlines. So I have to go with like my gut basically in the moment. I used to like hate everything I did and that might be a strong term, but everything I did, I was like, Oh, this could have been done so much better. I could have done this way, this way, this way. And I realized like through that, it was kind of me just like telling myself that. So that way, if somebody else didn't like it, I could be like, yeah, I didn't like it either, but I didn't have a choice to make it basically because I didn't want to be vulnerable because like, if I actually like something I made and then somebody else didn't like it, then it would be bad. But I think like, I've learned like, if like, there has to be some kind of confidence in yourself, whenever you create something of like, trusting what you've created was inspired in some way and like you can't just hate everything you do or that's something I've learned um just to like be safe with it and I think like like if artists in the past like didn't release something because they wasn't weren't sure if people would like it then like we wouldn't have any art because I feel like that pretty much goes for like most artists so I think there has to be some kind of like risk taking in any creative realm because if you like even that goes for like I feel like business like if you don't take a creative risk in business then it's not going to go anywhere if you just do like the safe stuff over and over again and I think like that goes for most things in life but I would agree with like what you were saying Brian about it being vulnerable but I think there's something important about it too so here's, here's one thing I'm thinking now, and, and we've been talking about this a little bit for a while, that side of things, the creativity, the emotional, the, I want to put this out there, or I want to do this side is kind of important, but what if we were able to give less influential power in the decision-making to the emotional, I want to do this side of things and started to see some of these things as I need to do this. It's my responsibility to actually put this out there. And I think that would apply in business, in creativity and art. It's not, I want to start this business because it would be cool. It's, I need to do this because it's going to affect people's lives and make them better. Or with anything you're doing in video, like a, a production, it's part of your job. And so it's really easy to see, well, I got to finish this project because it's part of my job. What if you finishing that project actually impacted someone's life and the only thing that held it up was your emotions and you weren't quite sure if it was good enough or done yet? And same thing for me. And I think that's 
a little bit what you were alluding to earlier, Brian, where you're talking about developing the fortitude that helps us to dive into these longer processes without that instant emotional gratification that we expect. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was even thinking about Exodus 28.3 says, um, Moses is to talk to, um, you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. And they're going to make garments and they were part of the ones that were making the temple and different things in the book of Exodus. And I just thought it was interesting that it highlights these uh, these creators, the artisans were the ones who were the metal workers, were the, the seamstresses, were the um, all the garments, all the beautiful and the, the creative aspects of construction, of any detail work. Those were the artisans. And they were filled with the spirit of wisdom. And I just thought this was interesting that, that God's spirit is part of creativity. It, it's part of his gifting into us that, that we get. So wisdom has a creative side too. And I think that's a really, so we know what to do, right? So you have the knowledge, hey, I know what to do. Understanding is how to do it, how to make it function. But wisdom is the when to when to put that out there, when to do this, that's all part of that process. And it, it, it doesn't just apply to people who are quote unquote ministers in, in just verbal platform type things. It applies to those that are also the creative ones building things and, and, and making life better around us. It's all part of that process. It applies to them as well. But this brings me back to that creative side. It's easy to train someone to do a function. And I noticed this a lot in, in Thailand's very big, like um, you'll go down to certain parts of the market and there'll be sketch artists and they'll sketch, take a picture and they'll sketch it perfectly in pencil. And they're all over the place. And you sit there and go, first of all, how, how is that like such a common skill? And it takes them about two years. They learn what the process is and someone teaches them the process. But for them to just sit down, now some can, but generally they need a picture in order to create. They need to see, you, you show me exactly a picture and I can duplicate that. They can duplicate what they see. But for them to just create abstract something is way more challenging to them because they have to see it. Now, it probably has a similar characteristic, but that's something that the Spirit of God gives us an imagery, right? Open our eyes so we can see. There's an imagery we see, and I think it's interesting that when they built the temple, God told Moses, build what you saw in the Spirit on the earth. So he saw something, and then he was to build it. And so... I'm just wondering if we get too like we can learn to be hard workers and do hard things and do hard tasks and we can get it done. Then the creative side comes and it kind of puts us into a stumbling block as if it's just us. But I'm wondering, I think to your point, Jason, how much of that is we've just allowed us to be kind of, I hate to say it because I'm so guilty of it, we just become selfish with it. 
And we don't, again, I still think it comes to, we don't want to put that vulnerability out there because what if somebody, I mean, it is one thing to reject hard work. It is another thing to reject something you gave your creativeness into. Man, that, that is something that just hits. But now let's step that back to your point, Jason, how it affects other people if we don't do it. What happens if we don't do those things? What's the effect? Can you guys think of, think of things that were creative? It's hard sometimes finding these answers because some of the creators become very goofy. I do notice it's like you're, you're thankful for a musician that brings out good music and then it's like, do you have to go so far and being fully expressive to a degree that is like all immoral? Like what happens like when someone feels so comfortable letting themselves out, now they really let themselves out and go too far with it. So maybe that's not quite the best example, but um, I'm just thinking about a book or a song or, um, you know, a, Historically, the Bible, I mean, even in the book of Psalms, all those are like David creating. He's creating songs. He's giving out of what he's seeing and what he's thinking. And he's making himself vulnerable, especially being a king to write something like that. Those are uh, kind of vulnerable things to be able to put out there. But again, we're talking about how we don't want to procrastinate. So I'm kind of tying an emotion into that. And maybe that doesn't fully apply, but I do think there's something to that creative side that we don't like to be vulnerable. This work presentation for me was tough in that regards because it was it was very interesting because as I come up with this, I was running it by my boss constantly. And it almost became like he was an even bigger critic than any of the engineers. And it was like, man, like, I feel like I can't even make something good enough that you like. I have to constantly revise. I have to constantly change. And I'm getting stuck in this creative process. But what I found out was like, that's part of like the creative process is like, I did something. I went and shared it. I got feedback. I changed it. And I did this constantly over and over again until we got to the presentation. And then it went on a feedback of a whole new scale, right? And so it's almost like a little stepping stones to where we were wanting to go. I got feedback from my boss on every points, and then there hit a point where it's like, we can't give any more feedback. We just have to go test it. Went and tested it. We got feedback. Now we're going back and changing, and then we have to go out and test again. And it's this constant cycle of retesting, retesting, retesting. I don't know how that would compare to maybe something like a song or writing or I don't know, but that's my example for in my line of work and business. It's, it's a constant refining and retesting of everything we do. Even put this presentation aside, cause that was a big project, right? A lot, of, a lot more creativity going towards that the last couple of weeks. But even my phone calls, making dials, 
every day it's switching up it's changing you're you're changing your script you're changing what you're saying you're changing how you say it it's a constant creative thing to do to adjust and change and constantly receiving feedback i mean there's there's not much more feedback than someone telling you to shut up and go talk to someone else or i don't want to talk to you you're you're just like all the other guys i talk to well that wow that's a that's a shocker maybe i need to change something up maybe i need to think about this a little bit more and think how do i actually connect with this person over the phone instead of just doing what everyone tells you to do doing all of the typical sales things you can do and it's interesting because I, I was talking to my boss on we're on a work trip or coming home and I was like I just I feel like I'm not doing as much work as I used to because he he's kind of changed me out and I'm doing this other work where it's more selective it's more targeting it's he's like yeah but I needed you to go through those thousands of numbers of people who frankly they weren't the right fit for a product but you were out there trying to do something I needed you to do that so you could get to this point where now you're you're thinking and you're actually creative and that when you talk to someone who's actually in our market and actually has a budget and actually has all this, you're going to close the deal because you went through all this testing and trials of frankly, people who it didn't matter. And I just see this like whole creative process in the, in that journey. And it's, it's very interesting to see the target switch, but yet still being creative in that. And still finding stories and how to communicate that to a whole different audience. It's just, I don't know what you guys took out of that, but. Well, I think it's fascinating that your boss wants to develop you enough, but how do I develop you and not damage future clients? So he puts you in something that could generate something, but generally isn't our market, but it gets you to learn how to interact and, deal with all that. So he was setting you up for rejection pretty much from the beginning. And just having to be out there, just doing it. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. It, I, I was thinking about six stories that went through my head, but I didn't want to waste the time on it. But I just think that's kind of a cool process that he did that. Now you've walked through that. You can now think on your feet a little bit. You can deal with those little nuances that you don't know how to deal with. And now you're ready to start playing in the, with the big boys. And it's not like there wasn't, there wasn't opportunity out there. It was just way smaller than other places. He knew I could go after and see a much bigger return for what I was doing. But it's exactly like you said, I was throwing curveballs every day. And what did I do every day? I came to him and I was like, Hey, someone said this and I had no clue how to respond. And I just kind of froze up and what do you do? Boom, boom, boom. You know, every day to the point of now it's like those curveballs still come with these people, but now I know how to handle it. And there's not as much, there wasn't as much pressure before, even though I didn't know that I was, you know, he was giving me a place to learn and become, you know, Fill my boots per se, you know, give me my confidence. And it's funny because that idea of try these things out in this smaller pool, 
that that spans industries that spans business and creativity you you listen to comedians that are successful that's exactly what they do when they're creating new material they spend tons of hours with their pencil and their notebook and they have all these great ideas for bits and jokes and stuff and they don't go and make a special out of it instantly it takes for a lot of the good ones at least a year of working on material in these tiny hole in the wall comedy clubs and they find out half the stuff that I thought was great, it bombed over and over again. So I'm scrapping it until eventually months or years later, they have enough content put together for a whole special, like an hour special or something. But we only see, oh, this comedian has this new hour special out and it's all just hilarious. We don't see that it took two years to make that. And they went through about 18 hours of bomb material to get this gem. It's just so crazy to me that it doesn't matter if it's business, if it's comedy, if it's music, the, like this is, it's almost like this is how human beings grow and develop no matter where they are. All right. So this, you just, this, this transition a little bit from, okay, the creative side of it. Again, we're talking about how do we go do those hard things that are the most meaningful? The hard things are the most meaningful. The little things are critical to build our will, our strength, our fortitudes, and they establish so problems don't happen later. Because once you accomplish the big thing, there's little things you'll have to do constantly to keep it maintained. So the little things don't really go away, but it's the big things that that break through, that take us to the new places, right? That's what's in us that needs to come out. So I was listening to someone and they were talking about I really wished I, I would, I'd post the link where I heard this. Um, but anyway, it caught me. We we're born to begin life failing. We grow through failure. We're, we're designed to grow through failure. So think about a kid. They, they have to learn how to walk. So they fail, they fail, they fail. And then they finally get to walk. Then they have to learn how to run and balance and, and deal with the weight of their body and they fail until they grow. Everything in, I'm, I'm talking about failure in the sense of it doesn't work right away. It, they have to do it and do it and then it becomes, and then they do it and do it and it becomes, and then they do it, do it, and then it becomes, and then they become stronger and they do it and do it, do it, do it. Everything is that way. Every, everything in our life is that way. And it doesn't mean you're becoming, you'll find your identity as we talked before, you know what you are. That's what keeps moving you forward. It's like, wait a second, I am this, I can do this. And little kids are the best. They don't have, for if they have halfway decent parents at the minimum, they know they need to keep walking and learning to talk and, and learning, learning their language. And all of these things are just active parts of their growth something comes in and and part of it's the fallen human nature but then when you add in maybe shame or you add in condemnation or you add in guilt or you add in failures that affected you personally or you let it become so personal that you can't let go of those become the markers that are the hardest when bigger events start taking place that you need to put yourself out there if, if someone has been, you know, I, I can look at things with my kids of areas that they have an insecurity in and areas where they have a strength in. 
and areas where they have a strength and they'll just keep putting themselves out there. They'll just keep putting themselves out there, out there, out there. Areas where they have a slight insecurity, they'll kind of hold back a little bit and wait and see. And I want to, again, this podcast is kind of focusing on how do we turn our want to, our need to into our want to. And I was thinking about from the idea that sometimes people have been so hurt, rejected, um, condemnation. So you don't, you're not even dealing with just the normal learning how to take on bigger things. So there is a learning, just everyone's clear. We kind of walk through that learning how to take on bigger creative tasks. You do have to put yourself out there. You do have to put yourself into those situations. I highly recommend for anybody, if they don't know how to do this, just take a little part-time job working as a sales clerk somewhere at a clothing store. Learn to put yourself out there to talk to people. Just learn to interact with people. Learn to, to just, at a, out of habit, talking to people, because that's when you're going to learn how to bring the most creative stuff out is when you're interacting with people. But let's just step aside. Now let's take a look at someone who has let failure or big hurt or calamity go on top of a broken nature. All right. So you guys know what I'm talking about. Are you, are you guys with me in this? Are you, or did I frame that? Okay. I put that out there creatively. So I'm hoping you guys will feed back to me. So it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. All right. So I was reading in second Samuel chapter 19, uh, uh, verses one through eight. And it's talking about Absalom. So this is after David was king over all of Israel. Then he loses the kingdom to Absalom. Absalom, his son, creates a coup, overthrows. David has to run and, and leave and hide with his men. And so now they're out in hiding. A battle ensues. Absalom is killed in battle. David is, is at his house of refuge, wherever that is. Um, I just can't remember where I read it. But anyway, so he's at his house of refuge. Messengers come back, and his first thing is, is Absalom alive? And then he finds out what the second messenger said, no, Absalom is dead. And so should anyone that comes against your kingdom. And he just starts weeping and grieves. And the people, when they first heard the news that Absalom's army and this has been destroyed, began to celebrate. Then they saw David grieving over Absalom. And they went in shame as if they've lost and hid back into their homes. Now, if you remember the story of David... Earlier in times, if someone brought in news that we killed Saul, he had that man killed for touching God's anointed. It wasn't our job to touch who God placed. But David is in a different position now. David is the king. He is the one placed by God into that place. He is the one given the role to be in that place. It wasn't anymore about David. It was about the kingdom and his role. And he had an obligation to the people that were given to him. Absalom was his son, and it was tragic that he turned on him. 
But in this case, Absalom didn't turn on David. He turned on the people of Israel. He was the one touching God's anointed. I'm not saying David should have killed him. He died in battle. No one was deliberate. No one tried to assassinate him. He just died in battle. But Joab, if you remember, David has all these mighty men. The chief of all the mighty men was Joab. Joab. And Joab came to him and he said this, because David is covered his face and cried out, oh, my son, Absalom, Absalom, oh, my son, my son. See, there comes a point where we take all the hurt and the baggage and, and it's very possible David felt guilty for all of the Absalom should never even have been like Absalom was, but this all ties into the, the rape of one of the sons of his daughters and all of this mess. It was a big family master class dysfunction group is David's family. Okay. It's a mess. I believe David felt guilty over that. And there's some condemnation and it tied into uh, Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah. There's just a lot of mess that went into this whole thing. So we don't know everything, but David doesn't really care about the kingdom. He's more sad about his son, but I think it's more about how he believes about his son. This is my, that's my adding into it. I don't know for sure. I'm careful not to do it because this is how we rate, wreck great characters. So I'm just trying to put it into perspective because Joab speaks to David differently. Now, Joab, you don't talk to a king in a certain way, but Joab steps up. Says Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today has saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have been pleased you well. Do you see how sometimes we become so self-absorbed into our own thinking that it appears that you hate the people that you're supposed to be loving? I thought that was just an interesting thought. That's how it appeared to Joab. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, nor... Not one will stay with you this night, and that you will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. I mean, just think about what he's saying. If you don't stand up and get over your own self-pity and go out and stand in the role that you were placed into and fight for the people that were given to you, it's going to be worse than you and no one will stand with you. I just thought this was this moment, and he's not dealing with David. He loves David. They love David. They won't let David stay in this place because it's going to kill everyone, not just him. So the things that we're called to do and bring out affect everybody else, and our response to them has a huge effect. And part of it is, in a way, Joab was saying, get over yourself. David loved his people, but this, this weird guilt thing with Absalom had to go away, had to be broken off. So there's some things in our life that had to be broken off. And how they get broken off is we choose to do the other thing. The Bible says, how does a young man cleanse his way? 
by responding to the word. So how does David cleanse this action? By responding to the word and getting up and going and taking his role in, this, in the gate. It says, then the king arose. I like David didn't even get mad at him. Like, hey, I'm the king. You can't talk to me like that. He said, no. Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king for everyone in Israel had fled to his tent. He brought the unity back because he stood up in the face of what he had to deal with. And that was his feelings with his son. And so what I'm saying is there's times it's hard to put that into like, oh, we have this hard thing going on in our life. And a lot of it could be just a project of something we're supposed to bring out. And I'm taking stock of things that I've not brought out just because I don't want to do that or how I'm going to feel about it if I don't do that. Or I'm, it's just not really me, but I know to do it, but it's not really me. So I'm going to do something else. I feel like sometimes this can go because it becomes more of a self-pity and what about me and what about my feelings and what about the things that I, I'm caring about the wrong things. David was caring about the wrong thing. He was caring about Absalom when his role was to care about the people. In the early days when he cared about Saul, he was doing it because David wasn't the king and he was honoring what God put in. This isn't about honoring Absalom. This is about him honoring himself. It would became a self-pity type environment. Now, I'm, I'm adding things to the story, but when you read it in the pattern of his life, he needed someone to come in and say, get over yourself and stand up for the people. And he did. The cool thing about David, man, he just responded to it. When someone brought the, the mirror to David, he responded immediately. And so the faster we can respond, we could start making some huge, huge changes. So I'm just wondering if part of the things we don't want to do really are much more tied to our insecurities and inferiorities, that some, that some, the only way to really deal with it is to get over yourself and step into your, the place you're supposed to be. So it's funny we're, we're talking about this story here. Um, as we're talking today, I'm at a trade show and it's just me. My boss uh, said, Hey, I'm going to send you this one, go and figure it out. See what it's all about. Um, had a whole day of travel. When I got to the hotel, had work to do and then finished my work. I was like, perfect time to relax until I found out there's a social hour. And here I am in my mind saying, man, I don't want to go to that. That's, I have to go talk to people. I, I know no one here. I know absolutely no one. Oh, I have to go talk to people. I have to go try and befriend people. I have to, I have to do this thing. And I'm just like, I don't want to do it. I just, I want to sit in my hotel the rest of the night, get some dinner, watch some TV go on my phone and have a good time by myself and I'll be recharged for tomorrow so I can meet people tomorrow and do my job tomorrow and do what I'm here to do tomorrow. And I just found myself like making these excuses, excuses, excuses. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do? 
I'm conflicted because I'm, I'm on a work trip and here I am wanting to do anything but work. And it's not even work. You, you, you're going to meet some people and have some appetizers. That's all you're there. It's all you're doing. I just have to go down there and stand and I'll figure it out. And I'm going through all this and I'm, I'm like, whatever. I'll just let the time pass. We'll wait. And I scroll past this video and it's like, you think everyone else has problems or doesn't have the problems that you're experiencing right now. And you think all your excuses are perfect and that you don't need to go do what you need to do just because of your experiences and your excuses. And they're like, there's other people out there who have those same experiences and much worse and are going and doing something about it. And I'm like, Oh man, this is, this is, this is awful. And I just let that video keep playing and playing. And finally I'm like, okay, well I'll get ready. So I got ready. And then I grabbed some stuff and I was like, I'll just bring it down to my booth at the trade shop. Well, I got there and all the doors are closed and all the people are outside at the social thing. And I'm like, oh, well, now I I have the stuff that I need to bring to my booth. So I'm like, okay, I'll just bring it back to my hotel. And so I went back upstairs and I'm like, wow. And I tried to go down, but it didn't work out. So now I'm back up here and I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just talk to someone in the elevator if I, if I get in the elevator. So one guy in the elevator, I talked to someone. I'm like, okay. We're fine. So I walk into the thing and I just felt so out of place. I've never felt it in my life, just so out of place and so in my head about this da 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 da. And then I'm just like, wait, I'm not here because of me. I'm not here because of this is necessarily what I want to do, but I'm here representing something more. And that's my company and the people I work with. So it's almost like my my duty to actually do something and follow through with this this little social gathering. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I just went out, shake the guy's hand, had a whole conversation, and just went on with the rest of the night. But I say that to say, like, this exact thing of, like, I was running through my head of, like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm here for but I want to do everything but that. And sometimes it just takes literally taking that first step of like going in the elevator and like striking up the conversation. And I was like, I'll make my promise to myself. I'll talk to anyone in the elevator. Cause it's easy conversation. Cause there's 15 floors and I can say, at least say hi. And that opened up the door to actually go and do what I'm here to do. Real quick. I, Jesus did it on a grander scale in the garden, but I'm just wondering how many times little things that he constantly said, not my will, but yours, not my will, but yours. In other words, I like what you just said. I'm representing something. This isn't about me saying about nobody's caring about Tommy. They're caring about the company representing, but you, Tommy becomes the personality of that company. So you become the reflection of what you're representing. So it's so critical. That's good. Great example. The coolest thing though, to me is there came a point in that whole journey where a voice in the form of that video got in your face and essentially was like, you, you can't just sit here. Like 
You're not here to just sit here. You've there. And it, it was almost like, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but it seemed like there was, well, I know I should do this. I don't want to do this, but there are things you want to do that involve the, I need to do this. And there was almost a point where it's like those connected. And it was, it, there's like an uncomfortable pushing through the sludge of, okay. But it didn't seem like the entire night you were just like, I hate this. I hate this. I mean, there was parts where it's, I don't want to talk to people. But then there was, there's, there's an aspect where the want and the need came together. It's like, I know I need to do this. And that video getting in your face was like, you know what? I want to do this. Let's go. I hope everyone hears that voice and then takes that first step, whatever small thing it is. Mine was, mine was I made a promise to myself. If anyone is in that elevator, I'm going to talk to them. And that broke it open. That, that gave me the, okay, I can do this. You know, and so I, I hope you hear that voice and see that in your life with whatever you're going through. But then I also hope that you take that first little step. I'm I'm going to throw something out there for all the listeners because there's a picture of this. Everything that's hard to do that you that you have to go against what you are it feels like at times in order to step into that to bring out what you're actually putting out what you really are and you have to go against all this other stuff it feels like in order to do that it's for your benefit because the more you do it you you really do come out more you it, the real you gets more exposed and so when god asks you to do something he's doing it to bring out what you are he's not doing it just because he needs servants to do miserable things He's doing it to bring out what you really are, because the more it becomes you, you're inspired to do it. It's coming from you versus having to always have an external motivation, which is so limiting. You know, uh, Jesus said in uh, Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Like, right. Isn't that kind of the profession of our faith is that we declare Jesus is Lord. So in order to call him Lord, he's defining what a Lord is. And I think we call Jesus Lord like, oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, the demons believe in Jesus. The demons knew who he was before the people knew who he was. That's why he would cast him out. He didn't want him talking. And it said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So the whole context of calling someone a Lord is means you do the things that they say. You don't listen to the things they say and then do something different. You don't have a different opinion. You do what they say. Our Lord has our best interest in mind. Our Lord loves us and wants us to go further than he is. Our Lord gives us things that other people had never been given in history till he came. Our Lord makes us heirs. Our Lord makes us sons and daughters. Our Lord adopts us. So that's our Lord. But to call him Lord means you do what he says. So like what you just did, Tommy, of going, you didn't have to go. But isn't it better when you get back and you can tell your boss you went to all the social things? It would be really weird if you went back and said, well, did you go to the social? Well, no, I did the meeting and then I, I left and went back to my room. In his mind, he's going to be going, uh, we're going to have problems in the future because you're doing your job, but you're not doing the thing that's going to advance us. You did what you were told to do. That's not calling him Lord. Lord means go represent me. Very different. 
And he says, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's a man who built his house on a rock. But he who hears what I say and doesn't do anything with it is like a man who builds his house on a sand. It gets destroyed. His life is destroyed. And so the more we do, it's for our, our benefit that our life becomes better. And so when we know he has good motives towards us and he asks us to do something hard, it should bring confidence to go forward with this. So we don't have a right to hold on to our hurts, our pains, our condemnations, our guilt, our shame. We don't have a right to hold on to it because we have a different Lord, unless those things are your Lord. then that's slavery. So in slavery, you have a Lord. In kingdom, you have a Lord. But we're just part of his family. In slavery, you're not part of that family. And I, I want to ask Tommy one question on this. When you finally finished with the social event and got back to your hotel room, did you feel, oh, that was terrible, and I I, I regret doing it, and I would do it I would, if I could do it over again, I would not go because I was forced to go by this pressure from my boss and I don't want to do it. And I hate working here and I hate who I'm becoming. Was that your feeling when you got done with the day? No. And I would say definitely any of that, that like, I didn't feel any pressure from my boss, right? This is an extracurricular thing. But when I'm thinking in the sense of like, I'm here to do this. And yet here I am being lazy and wanting to serve myself. And I think it's just interesting, like, also too, like, my boss is going with me every other trade show, but this one. And he's like, go do it. And when I was like, thinking about this, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, what am I going to say? Like when I go back almost exactly like what you're saying, you know, like I, I'm not thinking of like, Oh, my boss is going to be like, so disappointed if I don't go, but I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, what am I going to say? I did like, Oh yeah. I went, went to the hotel that first day and just kind of, I worked and then just hung out. And he's like, did you, did you talk to anyone? Any? It's like, this is what I'm here to do. This is who I represent. And it, and afterwards, you just feel so much better. You feel more confident. And not that I did everything perfectly. I did walk around just kind of uh, looking at people. Uh, oh, who you who you here with? Uh, but now I know I can do that. And now I know in the future what I can do and how I can get better at it. And if I would have never done that, who knows when I would have learned when I would have learned that? Would I have learned that when my boss is there and he's like, "You're not going to this thing." Well, no, I just kind of don't. Uh... Like, come on! And it was almost like get a grip and just grow up and go do right. I think that's the coolest thing about this to me is after the process, both in in your story and with David and Joab. After the voice comes or the person and it's a confrontational thing, you need to get out there into your position. The result afterwards is not beating you down. Like it doesn't beat you down into, into something less. 
it actually brings power to you and strengthens you to where afterwards you're something more. And not only are you something more, the people around you are something more because of it. That That's the coolest thing to me. I think if we could see that picture, it would it would help us step into those things maybe a little sooner than we otherwise would. If I have any thoughts about this, um, recently I've heard this a lot and I feel like it kind of can help give some importance to this. Um, but one of the pastors here has lately said so much, they just say, you matter. And every time they say you matter, they don't follow it with, that means your feelings are important and that uh, what you want to do is important. And all this stuff is like, you know, like you matter and you're important. It, it really means like you matter and what you do and your purpose is important to everybody else around you. And I think like to give like the importance of what Tommy is talking about, what we're talking about of like stepping out and like doing the courageous thing and like getting over yourself essentially is that it's it's important because you matter and other people matter and you can't just like go on your life without like taking in consideration like what does my life mean and all that and I think it's super important to grasp hold of this because if we miss this and if we miss like the importance of stepping out and like like if the king if David had like just been like it doesn't really matter. I don't really matter. Like, I'm just going to stay back here and sulk. Then he would have affected the rest of the country. And like, probably the people's perspective, like they probably would have lost battles in the future. Like who knows what have, what would have even happened to Israel if like their moral was crushed like that. And I think it's just super important that we get a hold of this of like, we have to step outside of ourselves for the sake of everybody else around us and for the sake of ourselves, like that would have destroyed David too. And so I think it's just super important to grasp like how much this does matter and how much what we do matters um, to God, to other people around us and to us, like it affects everything. A lot of times I think these things that we need to take care of in our minds are actually just distractions that keep us from stepping into our proper position. I'm sure in the story of David, he thought he was okay taking care of his emotions that he was feeling at the time. But what it ended up doing was putting him out of position. Like who would, who would knock a guy for mourning the death of his son? Like most people would look at that as, well, it's okay. Take time for yourself in those situations, but it was wrong. I'm sure Tommy could have been thinking, it's okay for me to take care of myself and recharge tonight. But at I think there does come a point where we need to listen to that voice that's confronting us and says, get over yourself and get into your proper position. And I especially think that might be helpful for some people listening today because there is a lot of self-care going around the world. And, and I don't want this to be taken out of context because there's times we do need to recharge and take care of ourselves. But there is a point where taking time for yourself becomes the idol and the distraction that keeps you out of the position you need to step in. Because at the end of the day, it's really not about us. It's about the kingdom. And again, there's a lot of context of that. So I'm not saying, you know, never take a vacation, never go to the spa. What I am saying is let's listen to the voice of our actual Lord 
and not our emotions and not the voice of the world. I hope that makes sense. So we appreciate you guys tuning in to these episodes. We've got another one lined up for you next week. Caleb is going to talk a lot more in that one, I promise you. But we, we appreciate you guys. Until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.